Hey, good morning. If you are joining us online right now, you're live with us, you're here in the room, or you're joining us later uh, watching it, man, we're really glad all of you are here and worshiping with us this morning. We're continuing our Easter series. We started a couple weeks ago and going on for the next couple weeks so we get to Easter. I'm Charlie, by the way, the lead pastor here, and really, again, really glad you're all um, here uh, with us. And Easter is in a couple of weeks, and I just want to emphasize something, and Brandy comes back up, she'll... Mention it as well. Easter's coming in a couple weeks. Registering your kids is really, really important as we kind of get back to having Grove Kids again. I know for a lot of you that is, has been exciting news that we've had that back. And for Easter, we're going to go to service, 8.30, 10, and 11.30. Really, we just want to make sure as people continue to come back, that when they come on Easter, that if you've been COVID nervous for the last year and that's your time to kind of come back, we want to make sure that the experience is as safe as possible with this, uh, people spread out. So just go ahead and be, have that in your head. 8.30, 10, and 11.30 on Easter in a couple of weeks. So I uh, look forward to celebrating that with you guys in a couple of weeks. Um, but in this series, we're kind of just kind of walking through the last week of Jesus. And two weeks ago, we started this with the Palm Sunday message with Jesus entering into Jerusalem kind of as, as a king. He's worshipped as a king celebrated as a king, but honestly, the, most of the people, their expectations about who he was was off. He was not the kind of king that people anticipated, a challenge that we still have, that, that, that we don't really completely fully understand and appreciate who Jesus is. We try to make him into something else. And then last week, Mark gave a great message, kind of from that Sunday to the following Thursday of the, the Last Supper with Jesus and his disciples celebrating the Passover meal and just helping us connect Jesus' sacrifice with what happened there with, with Moses there and in the Exodus. And just, um, and just really, I thought it was a great message, just helping us confront this idea is what, what God has already done for us is enough. And as we continue on, we kind of, this, is, this story that we're looking at today will kind of t- pick up re- almost exactly at the end of where that, where that left off. But the question that's kind of been popping in my head this week, um, thinking about this, is if I were to ask you, uh, is Jesus, would you say that Jesus is relatable? Uh, do you relate to Jesus? And I were to ask that question, like part of it feels like a, like, a, like a trick question. Like, okay, we're in church and if you're asking a yes, no question in church like that, the answer is like, well, yes, I, I, I find Jesus all good thing. Like all, yes, of course, Jesus. And then part of you is like, well, no, no, I mean, he's like, he's like, He's Jesus, you know, I can't really, I mean, he's, he's, he's got, kind of got this, this his own thing. And, like, like we, and, and so we have this image of Jesus as being very far and very distant and very, very different than us, that he's not re- remotely relatable. And so I had, a, I had a thing that happened this week, you think, t- talking about relatable, and of course this was going to come up. If you know me at all, of course this is going to come up. You know, normally you're wearing a nice shirt and we're wearing a Razorback shirt today. It's, it's, it's tradition, right? We're wearing a Razorback shirt, we're in the NCAA tournament, it's an important weekend, Biggest uh, basketball weekend of the year. The Hogs won on Friday, play again today. I'm super excited. And there was this moment, if you watch the game, you may not know. I had a whole bunch of people in, 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 in my house. And, and, and it, was, it, it actually there was a point in which that was very troubling to me. Because in, early in the game, we were down by 14 points. And at that moment, I was just like, there are way too many people in my house. I am just feeling a lot of anger and frustration and anxiety, and I wanted to express it. And here's all these people in the house that are probably expecting me to behave like a, you know, a normal, sane person. And I, just, and I just couldn't. And so what I did was, in anger, I just grabbed my phone and I left. 
this was at my house, right? So I just, I just, I just left, and, and I went to the opposite side of the house in my wife's bedroom, and I just sulked for a few minutes. And it all turned around the fence, and everything's good now, and I'm wearing the red shirt. But so, and so, I, and so it, was just, it was so much anger, like all the things I wanted to say, like uh, those, are, those are all bad words. You can't say any of those words. And I'm feeling all this anger and frustration. All I could do is leave. And I, and I tell that story in part. It's like, hey, man, pastors like to tell stories like that. It's like, man, you know, I'm, I'm a relatable guy. I get, I get, I'm, a, I'm just a person just like you, and, and I'm a pastor. Even though I'm a pastor, you know, I get angry. And some of you think, bro, that's not a relatable story. You're insane. And I'm like, and, but then, and then some pastors, they don't want to tell that story or any story like that because there's this sense in which we believe that the best of us are able to rise above petty negative emotions, anger, fear, frustration. And, and I need you to know that I have risen above it, and so you also can rise above it. And so what that tends to do then is to give us a mindset that says transparency is bad, expressing who I really am is bad, and that the ideal is to live in such a way where, let's just say, the rawest, most vulnerable parts of who we are are meant to be hidden. And in this story, as we get a picture and we, and we see just kind of the layers of what's going on here with Jesus, I would hope that we're going to walk away here with a different idea and a different picture of who Jesus is, maybe make him a little more relatable, and then ultimately give God, one another, and even ourselves a little more access to the most vulnerable parts of who we are. And so we're going to find today's story, Luke chapter 22, verse 39. And so what's happening here is Jesus just had the Passover meal with his followers, and he's going to, they're going to head out of the city to just outside the city to a place where it seems like that every night was just kind of common for Jesus to be praying. And he takes his disciples with him. And this is the night that he is about to be arrested. So he knows he's about to be arrested, and he knows that his crucifixion is just about a day away. And so he's, he's scared, he's nervous, we're going to see some of that here. And he goes off to pray, Luke chapter 22, starting in verse 39. And Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to, him, said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down, and prayed. So the top of this mountain, he's got his disciples with him, and he leaves them. He's like, listen... This is about to be a rough night for me. It's going to be a rough night for you. There's going to be a lot of temptation, a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety. You guys stay here pray, and pray. Just pray that you do not fall into what is about to be a really kind of a, a really significant crossroads for you guys, like a, like a rough patch for you guys. Please just stay here and pray. And I'm going to go over here. And I'm going to go here. It depends on, I guess, how far you can throw a stone. I'm, I'm going to go over here and pray. And, and let's do this. And so now Jesus is over here by himself praying and theoretically leaves his disciples over here to pray, pray for him and pray for themselves. Verse 41. Yeah, we drew stones throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed. 42. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. 
And so he knows what's about to happen. He's about to be arrested and tortured and crucified and, and the sin of the world is about to fall on him. And he's, he looks at God and he's the Father and is like, is, is there any way? Is there any way we can do something different than this? And, I'm, and, 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 and I put this quote out there of what he says and I just imagine for us, what do you think he's thinking and feeling at this point? Like, what, what, what's the Jesus voice at this time? Father, if you are willing, please let this cup pass. But as always, I trust you. And I think that we imagine Jesus always speaking in calm Jesus voice. Not quite radio voice, but a, but a, a calmer, gentler voice. And so we don't attach emotion to it. We don't attach fear to it. We don't attach anxiety. We don't attach anything to it. Just a simple prayer, except for what happens next. Verse 43, an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. And so whatever this first prayer was, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Whatever was happening to him, it was so intense that the Father sent an angel just to strengthen him. And then it says he just kept praying more to the point to where it says that he was, he was sweating like he was bleeding. And there's some different ideas about what this means, but to me what it feels like it means is like if I were to cut you right here and blood would just pour out, it would just pour out. It wouldn't just come out drop, drop, it would just pour out. He's sweating like one has when you've got a deep cut. It's just pouring out of him. And it uses the word anguish. And so this prayer is like... Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. I mean, sweat, agony, anguish are the words that are used to describe him here. Verse 45. When he rose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping, he asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. In a, in a, a longer version of the story, it actually has Jesus coming back and forth, finding them, keeps finding them asleep. And at one point he says, can, can you not even just hang, hang with me for just even a few minutes? Just for a few minutes. What is, what, is, what, is, what, is, what is wrong with you? I mean, he is just covered in sweat. He's exhausted. He's in anguish. He's been, I'm sure he's been crying. And, and he has the angel just to kind of help him just hang in there. And he goes and his best friends are sleeping. And while he was still speaking, verse 47, a crowd came up. And the man who was called Judas, one of the twelve. Again, this is one of his disciples. One of his closest friends and followers. Comes up to him, leading them. And he approached Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? So what Judas has done is he's made an arrangement with the leaders of Jesus. They didn't want to arrest him in, during the day because it could have caused some sort of controversy. So they wanted to quietly and secretly arrest him in the middle of the night so no one would notice. They could hold his trial away from people and that they could just do all of this without stirring up people who were either sympathetic to him or would just think it's who, who, why are you making such a big deal about this one dude teaching? Who even cares, right? And so, there, so Judas makes an arrangement. I know where he goes at night, and if you'll pay me some money, 
I'll take you to him and I'll make sure that I, I, I identify him properly for you. And he says, I, I, the one that I kissed, the one that I kissed has to be the one. And so he comes up, one of his best friends comes up to Jesus and gives him a kiss. And Jesus says to him, really? This, this, this is what's going to happen? You're sitting here and betraying me and you've brought this crowd of soldiers, my enemies, and essentially the, the torches and pitchforks crowd. You've brought them here to me and the way that you're going to seal this is by giving me a kiss. Verse 49. When Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. But Jesus answered, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and he healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priest, or chief priest, the officers of the temple guard and the elders who had come for him, am I leading a rebellion that you have come with swords and clubs? Every day I was with you in the temple courts and you did not lay a hand on me. But this, this is your hour when darkness reigns. So a group of religious leaders, chief priests, elders have come. They've brought soldiers with them. And now there's this whole crowd of them, and, and, and some, of the, some of the disciples, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, they think Jesus is ultimately going to be a political revolutionary. He's like, now's the time to fight, right? And so he pulls out a sword, and in a great moment of just military strength and courage, the guy with the sword, who we know from another story is Peter, he looks at the, the, the soldier, and there's a soldier there, so, soldier, 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 officer, chief. There's a little kid who's that guy's servant, cuts off his ear, avoids, avoids all this guy, goes straight to the heart of the matter and cuts off the ear of a servant. And Jesus looks and like, what are we doing here? No, 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 no more of this, no violence. Again, in other, in other tellings of the story, it's like, I, I, I could bring angels to wipe all of this out. What are you doing and then he turns to, the, to, the, to, the, to these religious leaders and is like, what, what? We were just together earlier today. Saw me the day before. I've been, I've, been, I've, been in, I've been around every day. You didn't arrest me then. But it's dark. It's dark. And that's your hour. You're a dark person and you work in the darkness. And that, that's why you're here. And ultimately, Jesus, without fighting, without putting up a fight, he walks away with them knowing that what is about to happen to him is, is terrible. He is about to be tortured, he's about to be mocked, and he's going to die a horrible death. And the more I've read this over this week, and again, I've read this story hundreds of times. I mean, I've heard it so many times. I've preached on it a few times. Like, there's just, like, there's so much, like, the more this week, there's just so much depth here. There's so much going on here as we get to see who Jesus is and him just kind of expressing who he is and the way that he's interacting with all of these different groups of people. But I think the thing that I am most confronted by in this passage, and I think that we all need to be confronted by, is the genuine humanity of Jesus. I mean, here is a guy, it just, it just his raw, genuine humanity, who is so tired so scared, so overwhelmed that he is sweating like he's bleeding. And he is so overwhelmed that the, that the, the word that is described here to say that was, he was in anguish. 
which the, the, the definition for that is severe uh, mental or physical pain or suffering. Nothing physical has happened to him. So he's just in severe mental pain. He is suffering. And somebody, well, that's the English word. What about the Greek word? I mean, the Greek word is actually pretty straightforward. It's agony. I know what that word means. There's no English bad translations here. He is overwhelmed. He is in agony. He is in anguish. He is so overwhelmed and scared and frightened. And then he comes out and his friends, his closest friends in his worst moment, he says, man, can we pray together? And they are asleep. Dude, could you not just stay awake with me? And then if that's not enough, one of his best friends who has just sold him out for a relatively small amount of money comes and gives him a kiss. He's like, are you kidding me? I know what they're doing here. I know what you're doing here. And of all the things you could have done, you could have been like, that one, he's Jesus. That's him right there. The one I punch in the face is Jesus. The one I hit with the rock is Jesus. No, a kiss. This is how you're going to betray me. And then he sees all this evil coming at him. And he's like, what are you guys doing? And I just just imagine this Jesus, hopefully a more relatable Jesus, who's just having a really terrible day and is overwhelmed with all of this emotion. And if you would come up to Jesus in that moment and said, Jesus, man, how you doing? Oh, man, I'm doing all right. I mean, it's been kind of, it's been been a rough day. I mean, my my friends, you know, sometimes they're being kind of, you know, I mean, I got got, got some things going this weekend that are, that aren't going to be good. I'm, 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 hang, I'm hanging in there. I'm hanging in there. It's for me. Oh, it's okay. It's okay. How about you? I'm fine. I mean, you, you good? I don't imagine, I don't imagine that that's what Jesus would say. Covered head to toe in his own sweat. Yelling at his friends. But you know who would say that? You know who in those circumstances would say, oh, okay, you know, nothing really to complain about. I mean, it's going to be a little, you know, it's not going to be a great day, but it's okay, fine, how are you? You, you would say that. You would say that. I would say that. We would all say that. That's what we say. Because what we've done is we have associated this level of pain and grief and heartache, we have associated it with weakness. We've associated it with sin. We've associated it with a lack of faithfulness and trust in God. In the midst of one of the greatest statements of trust and faith in God ever, the emotions that Jesus was feeling in that moment are also described as anguish. I know that this is the plan. I know it's your plan. I wish there were a different plan. I trust you and your plan. And he is in overwhelming anguish. Fear and and the distress that comes from really bad circumstances are not counter to faith. They're not counter to trust. They're not counter to being a godly man, being a godly woman, following and trusting God. Jesus, these are the things that Jesus is feeling. 
He is feeling betrayed. He is feeling anxious. He is feeling frustrated. He is feeling alone. And we see him expressing these most vulnerable parts of who he is to other people. He's being honest with it with himself. He's pouring these things out to God. This is what, and this, this is what genuine humanity looks like. The idea that you would feel these things and naturally associate them with weakness, naturally associate them with sin. This is what Jesus is breaking here. You being honest about how you feel in a particular moment and what's going on in your heart as you are facing the challenges and obstacles of life, man, that is not, that's, that's not broken. That, that's modeling Jesus. And you can, I guess, if you want... Well, I mean, I mean, I mean, nothing I was going through compares to Jesus. I mean, this is Jesus on the cross. I mean, it's nothing like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is what we always do, right? This is the next level. You first, you deny it, and then you compare. Well, I can imagine someone who has a life worse than me, so I have nothing to complain about. Which means, at any given time in the world, there is exactly one person who has the right to complain. I don't. I don't know who that person is. But as long as there is one person who has one more problem or one more struggle than you, he's the only one that gets to complain. I, I'm, I'm, they're not going to crucify me. So I, I don't care. I'm, I've got my health. I've still got my job. I've still, I've still got, so, no, no, no. It is okay for you to express your genuine humanity. Because what happens is we lie to each other We try to minimize it. And then I try to hide it from God, which is a hilarious joke, right? To hide what you really think and feel from God. Oh, God, you know, I mean, I just, I'm just doing nothing but trusting in you today. Thank you so much. God, just pray your blessings. Because what you're really trying to do is hide it from yourself. You're embarrassed about the most vulnerable parts of you, and so you try to hide them from other people, and you try to pretend with God that they're not happening. Again, because we've, 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 we've associated grief and, and fear and anxiety and betrayal, we've associated these things with, with, with weakness and brokenness. Now, on the other hand, we do see brokenness in this passage. And what we see is a lot of broken people. But what we see is, is this genuine humanity of Jesus confronting broken humanity. And that's what Jesus does. The genuine humanity of Jesus confronts our broken humanity. And so we see at first with his disciples. Come on, guys. Come on. You can do better than this. You can pray. You're about to, you're about to do some terrible things. And I'm over here in grief, and, all, and you're sleeping. And it says that they were overwhelmed with their sorrow, but in their sorrow, rather than... <coughs> pouring it to God, collecting together and uniting together, they surrendered to their grief and fell asleep. And Jesus is like, this this isn't going to help you later. You got to do better than this. And then one of his best friends comes up to him, gives him a kiss, like, I cannot believe that you're doing this to me. And then the servant, he's physically broken. Slice off his ears, ears on the ground. 
What does he say? No more of this. And he takes it and he heals his ear. And then he looks at the chief priest and he says, you are, you have dark, dark hearts. I see it and you know it because that's why you're here. Because you have to hide the things that you're doing. And so he looks at each one of these broken situations. The people who are surrendering in their grief, in their confusion. The betrayer, the darkness, and the broken hurting guy whose ear is on the ground not because of anything that he did. And he looks and he steps in to all of that. He looks at it, he sees it for what it is, and he steps in. He doesn't run away, he doesn't pretend, he doesn't gloss over it. He steps into it, he confronts it. But how does he confront it? The genuine humanity of Jesus confronts our broken humanity, but he does it with the grace of the gospel. Because the next thing that's about to happen is they're about to arrest him, and as he's being arrested, all of his friends run away. They all run away, they all leave. They abandon him. They don't follow him. They don't support him. They're not standing there next to him during his trials. Like, well, something bad might happen to me. They run. And he goes, knowing that he is about to suffer torture, mocking, humiliation, and a painful death. He goes. Because he knows what this situation needs most is the grace and the forgiveness that is going to come through his death and resurrection. But even in that moment, that moment of confrontation, we see this. Because I think this thing that he shouts about this with, this with this servant's ear on the ground, no more of this. I'm pretty sure he's saying that to everyone. You guys in your weakness who are, who are afraid to even talk to God or to each other about the things that you're going through, but instead you, you fail by just surrendering and running away from your problems, both metaphorically by falling asleep, and in a couple of minutes, literally. You, Judas, and your betrayal, no more of this. You guys walking around in darkness, no more of this. He looks at their brokenness and their failures and their physical pain, and he looks at all of it and says, no, no more of this. And the only one that he can heal and make better in that moment that, that servant, he does. He takes his ear and touches his head and heals him. But he's looking around to all of them saying the same thing. No more of this. No more. No more of surrendering to fear. No more betrayal. No more hiding in the darkness. <coughs> and he is headed on his way to bring healing and life to all of them. He's going to bring healing and life to the guys who gave up and ran away. And they're going to believe in him again. He's offering, he's offering healing and restoration to Judas, the guy who kissed him. And if he could have just believed and trusted again, he could have healed him. But he surrenders and gives up, kills himself. And he's offering that same thing to the people who arrested him, to the people who torture him, to the people who kill him. We hear him later that, 
just a little bit over 24 hours later, on the cross, looking at these people saying, God, forgive them. They don't, they don't know. They don't, they don't know. After being humiliated and tortured and, and, and killed in this gruesome way, one of his dying breaths is to ask God to forgive them. He sees the worst of us, the most broken parts, the parts with the most hurt, the most fear, the things that make us want to give up, the things that are so bad and so dark and so vulnerable, we want to keep them in the dark. Then I'm going to hide it from you. I'm going to try to hide it from God. I'm going to try to run from it myself. If I can run far enough away, I can get away from it. To the point to where Judas runs as far away as one can. And Jesus sees all of that. And he he doesn't look at it and says, it's okay. He doesn't say, oh man, you'll get him next time, buddy. He confronts it, but he confronts it with grace. He confronts it with the gospel. He confronts it with forgiveness. He's looking at each one of us and says, no more of this. Be healed. And in the same way, he grabs this ear and puts it back on this dude's head. He's wanting to bring that same level of healing to the most tender, vulnerable, and darkest parts of your heart and your life. Jesus shows us. <coughs> he leads the way. I will show you the most vulnerable parts of who I am. You don't have to be afraid of who you are. You can be honest. Just like I am. But with you, there's brokenness. With you, there is sin. With you, there is destruction that people are doing to you or the things that you're doing to yourself. You don't have to run. You don't have to hide in the darkness. Jesus wants to come in for healing. So there is no more of this. Let's pray.